Welcome to a brand new episode of the Yoga Girl podcast, Conversations from the Heart. Today, we are welcoming to the show an amazing woman in the wellness industry, Nicole Cardosa. Nicole is a social entrepreneur, investor, yoga teacher, and public speaker. She's the founder of Yoga Foster, a nonprofit that provides teachers with free yoga and mindfulness tools to use in their classrooms, as well as Reclamation Ventures, a fund that invests in making wellness more accessible. Nicole is paving the way toward making yoga and healing tools available to everyone, especially communities that need it the most. Welcome to the show, Nicole. Thank you so much for having me. I am so excited to have you on the show. So uh, speaking from the heart right here, right now, how are you doing? I'm good. I'm feeling very energized and focused. So I'm good. I also have been working a lot for the past few weeks. And so I made a commitment to myself this week to prioritize my self-care this weekend. And so I'm very much looking forward to that. How are you? I'm good. I'm a little bit sick. Like I have a bit of a sore throat right now, which is funny. It's funny to me how, I don't know if it is quarantine and this whole switch of pace that that so many of us have had, but I'm in a place where I'm so sensitive to stress. Immediately I have one stressful day and then my body tells me, and then I'm like, okay, I'll go back to baking. (laughs) Have you had that in terms of switch of pace? You know, I have. I've been maybe three times busier than I was before COVID. And I, I don't know how many people have felt that way. I've been less busy or more busy, but my work has significantly increased. So I'm trying to figure out how to take care of myself with everything that's happening, right? Because it's been a very traumatic past three months, four months with everything going on. So less baking. I need to do more of that. <laughs> I really need to create more hmm. space for myself to be well. But you do so much. I mean, I want to I wanna start by thanking you for the, the anti-racism daily newsletter. Could you share a little bit about that in case anyone listening hasn't subscribed yet? Because it's teaching me so much and I recognize it must be so much work to put this together. Thank you. I started something called the Anti-Racism Daily. It's a daily newsletter that covers critical issues in relationship to racism and systemic oppression. And every day gives you a tangible action to help help dismantle that. So I started that in June in response to the protests and a lot of my community asking, what can I do? What can I do to help? And now we have almost 100,000 subscribers. And it's cool to see how much is changing locally and nationally because of people showing up every day. So we've been raising funds for mutual aid programs, signing petitions to take down statues, Um, you name it. So yeah, it's been it's been a labor of, of love and it's been taking a lot of time, but I'm very excited for where it can go. I mean, it's really beautiful, the effort that you're putting into this. It's, it's, it's powerful to see from afar. Are you, were you always, you know, a go-getter in this sense? I feel like you're juggling so many projects or like you see a problem and then immediately you take not just a bit of action, but this is a huge, huge undertaking. Have you always had this I, you trait? Know, I don't know. I, somebody just asked me that, you know, just a friend. And I was, I've always been an entrepreneur in one way or another. And I've always been interested in solving problems. I, when I was younger, I used to love these logic puzzles that you could do as a kid. Do you know what those are? I never knew the name for them until recently. Logic puzzles. You know, I used to do them when I was a kid, and there are these kinds of like, 
they're almost like a riddle. Like you kind of have to find out there's seven people and they have seven dogs and each of those dogs have seven names and you kind of have to put all of the pieces together based off of some clues that they give you that like, you know, Jen owns Buster and he's a German shepherd. <laughs> this sounds really silly, but I used to be fascinated with these puzzles and, and trying to deduce like, all right, how do I put all of these pieces together? And I think I me loving them so much is very indicative of my work is, you know, if I see something that looks interesting and challenging. And if I feel like I have the tools to, to fix it, because there are a lot of things I don't know, <laughs> I really enjoy it's, it's a It's a creative expression for me to figure things out. Yeah. It's like everything is is, is figure outable. Have you read that no, book? No, but I should. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You, you, you come across that way. Like, here's a problem. Okay. Like, let's, let's, let's get to it. But in terms of anti-racism work, is this something that you've been doing for a long time or is it inspired by the protests and the movement I've of this year? I've been working in anti-racism a lot through my wellness work. Although I, it wasn't a direct thing, you know, I started my nonprofit that brings yoga to schools now over six years ago, and that's really been analyzing like the wellness gap. And there's so much of the inequities of wellness in America, in particular, that are embedded in racism. And also, being a black woman running businesses, you experience a lot of racism day in day out. So, anti-racist work has been a part of my work, whether I choose it or not. Right? I wouldn't have said. That was the subject that mm. I was focusing on, right? So although the anti-racism daily is the first thing that I've launched that like has anti-racism in the subject line, it certainly is indicative of just how I've been navigating through life over the past few years and obviously as a Black woman for my entire life. I think the the first time that I came across your, your presence on social media was with the yeah. yoga journal I don't even know what to call it, the debacle, the controversy. And, I, and I'm pretty sure that a lot of people have, have heard of it by now. But I find it, what I find most inspiring about that is what you created out of that struggle or, or out of that controversy. Do you want to share a little bit about how that came to yeah, be, the story um, there? You know, Yoga Journal was the thing I think that put me out, quote unquote, on the map for a lot of people. When they asked our community to vote whether I should be on the cover of their magazine and or, and put me side by side to Catherine Budick, who's a white woman, who's also fantastic, by the way, but another, you know, able-bodied, smaller-sized woman in the space. And they sent me an email and they told me that they had pushed that study because they were worried that my cover wouldn't sell. And did they, was this, was this normal practice? Because this I don't know so much about. Is this something that magazines... Do so cover texts are common, but usually they happen with the same model on the cover. So, you know, they Yoga Journal has done them in the mm. past where they ask people, do you want Sarah Clark, for example, who's an incredible teacher, do you want to see her on the cover sitting down or do you want to see her on the cover in, you know, Warrior 2 or whatever? And, you know, mm. with my case, they had shot, you know, we shot three different covers, three different options in my shoe, but they chose to put me against other people. And, you know, they've, they've done mm. when Jessamine Stanley was on the cover without telling her they did a split cover with another person without even getting to the cover test. So they do have history in deprioritizing and discriminating against black people on their cover. So, I mean, and what, what did that feel like? That must've been so incredibly you know, because you were already done, right? You had the shoot, everything. It must have been a big, exactly. exciting thing, you know, to have a 
to have her cover for them. What was it like to find out that not only were they debating whether or not to move forward, but putting you up against a, a white woman in that? Yeah, it was, way. you know, it was really, I felt really like ashamed and guilty, which, you know, is, is really, it says a lot about like how racism persists because I internalized that and I felt at first that it was my fault that I wasn't pretty enough, that I shouldn't have worn my hair that way. All of this, you know, shame and guilt that I've carried around being in white dominated spaces as a young kid and how I've always felt like I didn't belong or I wasn't good enough. That was just presented to me, you know, face to face. And it's so indicative of how trauma settles in the body because I Oh, you know, walk through life. And I think that I'm like, I've got my stuff together and I'm doing my practices and I'm going to therapy. Mm -hmm. And then when that happened, you know, I remember I was at work and I had my whole team. We were working on a big project that was launching the next day. And I just remember it completely gutting me. And I reverted back to like the middle schooler in the cafeteria who never felt mm -hmm. like she was good enough. So it was really, it was really mm -hmm. hard. Oh, I, I can I can only imagine. I mean, what happened after this? Was it immediate? Did you take, you know, respond to them somehow immediately? Or was it something that was sort of lingering? It lingered for a, for a couple of days. You know, I I responded to the brand and told them like how harmful that was and didn't re receive a response. And you know, sat with it over the course of, I don't know, maybe the weekend, a couple of days after. This is over a year ago now. But I sat with it for a few days. And ultimately, I decided to to post about it on Instagram because it was just so indicative of stories that I think many people of color and other marginalized groups have experienced in the wellness industry. And it's not just my mm. story. So I shared it because I wanted everybody to know like how much this happens Yoga Journal was such a blatant act of it, right? Like to have two pictures side by side circulating on online. That's pretty, right. that's pretty blatant. But there's so much more subtle racism that is happening behind the scenes that prevents people from being seen, from being heard, from being celebrated, but also being respected for the caliber of their worth. You know, the Yoga Journal thing was so insidious to me because They were still planning on running my cover story and featuring my nonprofit and all of the work that I do. Their debate was whether or not my picture should have been on the cover. So that's, an, that's extremely damaging to me, you yeah. know, because uh, uh, Catherine Budig is an incredible teacher and has incredible stories. It would have been different if it was like looking at how do we feature these two great stories during this time of year and then like maybe the next person's on the cover after but that certainly wasn't the case I had a yoga journal cover a couple of years ago and this was before this but even then I remember that feeling of there's so much that isn't right with this publication with this organization and it was more under the surface little things had surfaced here and there and they had a new advisory board I think to try to be better and And I remember this feeling of, oh, this is such a big milestone for any yoga teacher. It's like, of course, it's a big thing. It's right. yoga journal, you know. But I remember not feeling a hundred percent with it. And it's it's just baffling to me how it seems like every decision they have made since then has led from bad to worse. How hard is it to right. to to do this right? I mean, to to take some real, real, real action to to repair what's been harmful in the past and to change yeah. how they move forward. What do you think is, you know, because I feel like especially in the, the yoga world is so unique in this sense. 
And it, it took me a while to actually to open my eyes to how how big of an issue this is, how deep of an issue this is, because I was, you know, in my white skinned woman, able-bodied woman, super privileged, never thought twice of why mm. is this so easy for me? You know, I, it was really easy for me to become a teacher, to grow a platform, to teach internet, all these things just kind of yeah. happened, you know, and uh, I'm a little ashamed at, at how long it took me to actually recognize, you know, how many of my teachers were non-white. Who did I learn from? Where did they learn this? And uh, basically most of what I've learned in, in yoga has been passed down mm -hmm. to me from white people. So of course, <laughs> of course, you know, it's, it's not equitable here where I'm sitting right now. But why do you think that this is so, you know, prevalent, specific? What, what makes the yoga world unique in terms of being so white-centered when it comes to, to this, not just the industry, but yeah, the community? Yeah, you know, it's, there's the yoga, like, practice, and then there's the yoga industry, right? And I just think there's hmm. such an egregious gap between them, like where this practice comes from, what it's re what it represents, and then how it's kind of been packaged and commodified, particularly in America. But I can see, you know, similar trends across the world. I'm not sure how we it got here, but I do think a lot of it is rooted in what the uh, America's definition of wellness is what America's definition of wellness has always been. And because we've seen similar patterns of discrimination and harm in other, you know, other either wellness practices, even like when you think about running or other sports that are designed for like a less of an athlete competitive environment. And I think a lot of it comes to like, you know, for white women, it's like, what does it mean to be a beautiful what does it mean to be like this perfect idealized uh, woman in America that's really been rooted in whiteness and it's been rooted in having like the right body and the right skin and so I think that's a big part of it it's like the yoga community here has really been like built around some of those societal expectations of of, of white women and so when that happens right the expectations of everybody else kind of fall by the wayside of even being participating in that system And so much of the culture, you know, and, and the, the deep lineage of the practice is deprioritized to um, how do we get people to focus on that idealized body and focus on that idealized mindset without needing the rest, you know? So I think that's part of it. And, mm. you know, now... And that, that's been happening over time. I'm not just talking about like, you know, the past couple of, of months or the past couple of years, because I think so of many course. of us in this industry are working hard to change that and rallying against that norm. But it becomes particularly insidious in our industry because this industry is all about healing and all about making people feel better and hopefully providing practices that can help with the messiness, right? The the heaviness of the world that we live in. And so when these opportunities are packaged and delivered in that way, but don't represent <laughs> the people that need it most, that's where you start seeing this gap, right? Mm. You know, it's it's ironic, I think, right now that we've had, we have two pandemics right now that are, are at the top of our minds, racism and COVID. And both of those pandemics focus heavily on the breath, right? You have George Floyd right, saying over right. 20 times, I can't breathe. You have COVID literally taking people's breath away, leading to complications with the lungs. 
we focus so much on breathing in the yoga industry. We emphasize that and we're doing it in an environment where people disproportionately don't even have the chance to inhale and exhale on their own terms. So that was a lot. That was a Hmm. No, no, and it's 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 so important to for for all of us to open our eyes to to the reality that's always been there because of course this is not just something that happened this year. You know, it's something that's culminating this year that's maybe becoming more overt this year, but it's been there beneath right. the surface all along. But so what was it like for you, you know? Tell me a little bit about how you how did you find yoga and what was it like to to take that step into Yeah, into I teaching? found yoga when I moved to New York City when I was like 18. And I just went because a bunch of people I know were going to this class and I said, sure, why not? And I didn't expect anything out of it. I was very lucky that my first yoga class and my first yoga experience, incredibly impactful. And I, I say this a lot because my definition of this is evolving, but it really felt like I was at home in my body for the first time. I was experiencing a lot of anxiety and stress. I had never known how to cope with that. I didn't even know how to name that. I had moved to a new city. It was feeling quite unfamiliar. And I you know, have been constantly navigating like white-dominated spaces my whole life and have felt this kind of constant sensation that I don't belong. And I know all of this now. Like I wasn't like thinking about this the first time I got off the mat. But looking Mm. back about how I felt in my body and how I feel in my body now through this practice, it was a reclamation of coming home in my body and acknowledging that like my body exists in spaces where I might not feel safe, but I can find a sense of safety and a sense of home right here. So that's how I started. And then around that time, I was volunteering in schools and different after-school programs around New York City. One of them wanted to start a yoga program. So I helped bring that together and brought in volunteer teachers and started teaching myself and got to see like what this practice can do for, you know, kids that had a similar upbringing like me, who were having, you know, similar experiences that I did when I was a kid. And that was that moment where I realized, like, this is a truly transformational practice and can be for so many people Mm. who are often left out of that conversation. Right. And I mean, so many, so many people are. It always... I always grappled with, you know, for the, the the communities that need this practice the absolute most, the people that need this kind of healing, you know, this coming back home to their bodies, this breath, these tools. That's not where we see the yoga studios. You know, that's not where we see the teachers. That's not where these practices are shared widely. I mean, I'm, I'm from Sweden, so it's a little bit different there. And I live in Aruba, so our, our community is different here, also the, the yoga community. But in Sweden, yoga is the most, it's such its such an expensive thing to go take a yoga class. And all the studios are only in the upscale, you know, widest neighborhoods. And that's just thats just what it is. You know, the idea of, 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 of yoga in the suburbs or yoga in the schools or yoga in other communities, it's just not, it's just not present in any way. And it's heartbreaking to see how, how uh, you know, someone who opened my eyes to this really in a, in a way that, that, that hit me to my core that I, I think about all the time is uh, Susanna Barkataki. Mm-hmm. So she, she's a teacher on our, on our platform. And she told me a story about her aunt, who is an, an Indian woman who's, you know, born into yoga, practiced yoga her entire life. It's her culture, her roots, her entire, you know, ancestry lies in this practice that, that we are all borrowing over here in the, in the West. And how she, you know, after living in the States, 
felt like there's no yoga studio she can go to and feel like she like she belongs. So she doesn't practice in right. studios. She stays at home. And there was something about that 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 story of that just I I don't know. It touched me in a place that I just I cannot believe that I hadn't had my eyes open to mm. this prior to this. And yes, it is true. Not just in Sweden, but also in the U.S. You know, Aruba is hard to compare because everything is so 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 small. But how can we how can we change this? You know, in a real, real way, because there's a lot of amazing initiatives and campaigns and projects and things sprouting now. But the big companies, you know, the big chains of studios, the the the, the famous teachers, the schools, the people that make the money in the industry, it's still centered around the white teachers and the white practitioners in this space. How 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 do we go about changing that? I think the first thing, and you've mentioned this, is you know we can't change what we don't know. And so the awareness is really key. Like how can we all continue to listen to voices that have been marginalized in this space and then amplify them with the platforms that we have? We don't even have to fully understand, right? Like we need to listen and learn as much as possible. But if you're listening to this and you're not fully understanding it, it doesn't mean that you can't continue to share voices that are having these conversations and it doesn't mean to shy away from this conversation. So I think that's first. And then, you know, what's interesting now with COVID, which is devastating and obviously causing so much harm, is that it's disrupting the space. And so what we're seeing is an opportunity not to lean on these big box multi-million dollar brands in, in the yoga space and start to craft a practice that is more inclusive and, and more diverse and more centered around people that have been systemically left out. So it's a good opportunity if you're listening to dive into like what are different teachers that are offering practices that you might not have practiced with before and how can you invest in them and divest for some of the other brands that have been holding this conversation. Because we can change what this industry looks like now. A lot of industries are disrupted right now in particular. It's a really good time to sit back and consider what would it look like if we all came together to practice for those most marginalized? What would it look like if the people that have been left out of this narrative have the spotlight? It would be a totally different, I mean, entirely different yeah. mm -hmm. world. And it's possible. Sometimes people get into this work and they feel really overwhelmed, like there's nothing that they can do. But, you know, capitalism is a major reason why all of this happens. And capitalism decides what is important, what is trending. Capitalism is always centered whiteness. So we, you know, we're existing in a space of capitalism. We can't detract that from this narrative. However, a lot of capitalism is also driven by where we spend our money and where we spend our time. And so mm -hmm. we can shift that. And we can shift that more now if you are practicing more online and you're investing more in digital platforms. It's easier to get into new communities virtually than it might be from wherever you live. And so I highly encourage you to leverage the power that you have in capitalism to change it as we dismantle capitalism, because <laughs> that's a whole other conversation. <laughs> and you can do it parallel, yeah, at the same time. What about for any any teachers in this field who are who are listening now? Yeah. 
you know, and I, I remember, I remember, I mean, I struggled with this for a long time, you know, especially with our, our retreats and teacher trainings that we were teaching here, you know, on a Caribbean island somewhere really far away, an expensive flight. And we were getting majority white women joining these, these trainings. And for a long time, <laughs> which I, I'm, I can laugh at it now because it's like, why was I so, why was this so hard for me? But for a long time, I was scared to ask the question, you know. Like to, to literally just ask any of the women of color in my life, like, hey, how can I, how can I make these trainings, these retreats more, more inclusive? Why, why aren't, why aren't you here? You know, why, why aren't, why aren't, why isn't this part of the community present in my own groups? Like, what am I doing wrong? That's such an easy thing to do is to, to, to ask that question, right? But I was scared for a long time that even asking, like that would be something racist, you know, that, or maybe that the answer I would get would be that I'm doing something wrong and that would be shameful or you know, there's a lot of things we can unpack just by starting to have the conversations. But do you have any advice for any teachers, you know, who are, who are listening? Because I know a lot of yoga teachers do listen to this show who want to do the work on a, on a deeper level and actually, and actually make an impact in this, in the community yeah, and in the um, industry. I think, oh gosh, I mean, we could spend forever on this, but you know, if you are a teacher and you identify as white and you have so much privilege and power to help this conversation happen at the studios that you work at, at the brands that you might be an ambassador for. So start asking these questions to the other people in power and saying, why aren't you supporting other people of color? Why isn't this place accessible for people with a physical or a visible or invisible disability? Start asking those questions to other people who have further responsibility and accountability to take care of them. And then you know, center your trainings around people who have, who are marginalized, right? Because a lot of, and I think Rachel, you mentioned this, you know, so much of what we're, we teach is from, is centered in whiteness. And so we can keep perpetuating harm just by continuing to model what has come before through our, our classes. And so diversify your, your trainings, you know, take trainings that are by marginalized communities that center the needs of marginalized communities and make sure that you're advocating for them in your classes. Even if your classes are all able-bodied white folk, it's still very important to be able to say, this is how we are doing this work and this is how we create space for other people. And you know, any way that you can center the voices of other teachers around you that are more marginalized than you. Whether it's, you know, sharing their classes or encouraging your community to take a class with them or letting them take over your marketing channels for, you know, a day or two to share their, their work. I, I think generally all of these things are a mindset shift and in, in looking at, you know, how can we go from I am a teacher and I am a, I'm successful as a teacher to we are all teachers and my success and my opportunities can't come at the expense of yours. Because if we start thinking about this practice more of like a practice of interdependence than independence, we will create models where all of us can thrive. We're missing that. It's a further part of capitalism. Yoga mm -hmm. has been taught and modeled here in America as like a very individualistic practice, right? Which is very counter <laughs> to where, what yoga as represented, right. but it makes it easy for people to feel that they can grow and be successful and build brands and businesses without knowing or understanding the challenges that other people face. You are listening to the Yoga Girl podcast, conversations from the heart. 
Changing the world begins with changing ourselves, but that's a lifelong journey and one you can begin right now on yogagirl.com. Yogagirl.com is a safe space on the internet, a place for you to call home. With hundreds of yoga and meditation classes from my favorite groups of teachers, live classes with me every week, sharing circles, astrology readings, and much more, this platform offers access to the tools that have benefited me the most on my own healing journey. Join our community on the community board, a place for you to share your deepest feelings and be heard. Or read from hundreds of articles on healing, practicing self-love, being of service, and recipes for your kitchen. You can even find all of my podcast episodes there too. We have so many beautiful offerings on yogagirl.com, but here's what you'll never find. There will never be ads. You'll never see messages telling you to be fitter or skinnier or different. You can come as you are. I created yogagirl.com for people just like me, people who want to do the work to take care of themselves, to unlearn, undo, and shed the layers to become the person we all are at our core. This is my heart out in the world for you, because when you take care of yourself, you create the best version of yourself, and that's the person who is going to change the world. Join us on yogagirl.com to practice, grow, and heal. By signing up right now, you will receive two free eBooks and a free t-shirt and 20% off if you sign up for the yearly membership. Visit yogagirl.com slash subscribe to join right now. That's yogagirl.com slash subscribe. See you in practice. You are listening to The Yoga Girl Podcast, conversations from the heart. It's, it's funny how a practice that's built on the concept of, of connection, of, of, of union, has become such a, such a separated thing. You know, you can even see it walking into a room, like people don't want anyone too close. I mean, then this is pre, right, right. <laughs> pre-pandemic, you know, don't step on my mat, don't come too close. This is my space. Like we're on this little rectangular mat and, and what we do only impacts ourselves, right? And, and nobody else. And it's, it's not what the practice is, 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 yeah. is really about. I would love to know what have you seen in terms of, in terms of yoga foster? So having these tools for teachers to share in the classrooms, have you been able to see or follow kids? Because it was a couple of years ago that you right. started that initiative, right? What, what is it like for, 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 for a kid to have access to, to yoga and mindfulness tools in it's the classroom? Really, yeah. You know, I'm sitting here smiling because, you know, we've been working with some schools now for six years. And so we have students that started in the practice who are now grown and leading classes after school or supporting. Yeah, or supporting. Really? Leading, well, leading their, own, their classes. own classes like as teachers because we don't provide that kind of training. So I, I want to make that clear. Like we don't empower students to be teachers to that extent. But leading the like, after school programs with mm-hmm. teachers, right? Or being like the helper mm-hmm. or helping to like in, in bring in younger kids, for example, into like recess programs or things like that. So leading from the sense of like being a leader, but not necessarily Amazing. a teacher. But yeah, you know, it's it's interesting because, you know, when we bring yoga into spaces like schools that are inherently interdependent on one another, you have students that, you know, don't have as much agency as I think they should in their classroom. You know, it creates a different kind of culture, a culture where everybody is breathing together and practicing with one another, where they are recognizing that, you know, their well-being is is not individual and it's certainly intertwined. I really love that this practice can help create more unity and cohesion in schools that one are experiencing so much trauma and experience dealing with so much stress and anxiety right now, not just right now, right now, but certainly over the past few years. 
And schools are really where we model this kind of individual me over you um, perspective. And so I think with a practices like this and having more mindful practices in the classroom, we can shift culture and also shift what the, the wellness industry looks like because classes in schools don't look like classes in studios. And I'm really hoping that, you know, if students carry this practice that they have into the industry, um, they'll be rallying for something different. I started this practice when I was 18 and I was so new to the industry and it's taken me time to learn it. You know, we have kids that um, in 10 years, they've been practicing their whole lives. The yoga has always been theirs. Hmm. And they're not going to walk into a studio and take any of this bullshit that, you know, I, you know, <laughs> me as a new practitioner and me new in the space, like didn't know how to respond to initially. Really? Like, like, like what? you know, people walking, when I'm walking into a studio, for example, I still get this a lot and people asking me if I've ever done yoga before, which, which I'll see them like somebody will walk in in front of me and they won't get those same questions. Or, you know, people will see like me on a mat and like try to like, add more space or add more distance between me and another. And so those kinds of subtle acts of racism are embedded in our industry. And they're also embedded in our culture and they're embedded in our lives. And I think that students will have a different perspective when they engage with it in wellness, simply through how they were introduced to the practice. Yeah. And I mean, it's it's heartbreaking to to hear because especially, you know, the, the, the shala and, and our mat, it's supposed to be such a safe space. Right. And we, we talk about it that way also that, you know, coming to the yoga practice, it's a place to heal. It's a place where you can, you know, bring your traumas, bring your pain and, and you can find that sort of healing in that in, in, in the community. But reality is that it hasn't been that way. It isn't that way for everyone. You know, it's healing that's accessible for for a privileged few and knowing that there's actually harm being done in those self-proclaimed safe spaces. You know, it's it's truly, truly heartbreaking. Yeah. yeah. So it's an, it's inspiring to there's just the thought of, of 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 kids being able to to grow up feeling like this practice is already mine, right? This is part of part of part of me because it is. I mean, this body is already it's already yours. It's already your breath. All of these tools, they don't belong to anybody, right? No industry can claim them as as these are mine, and I'm going to capitalize right. and profit off. Although of them. that's what the industry tries to do, right? Yeah. Exactly right. Yep. And does we? I I, I used to teach. Uh, this is years ago now, but I used to teach yoga in in the, in, the, in a school here in Aruba. It was the hardest thing I've ever done, <laughs> and the most rewarding thing I've ever ever done. The classrooms are really packed here, but so so rewarding to just have, you know, watching the kids together, closing their eyes and taking a breath. You know, might be the one moment all day that they actually get the opportunity to yeah. to do that. Yeah. So such a be- such a beautiful initiative. How many schools are you in now? Are is it are you growing, expanding still, or or comfortable with the with the amount of yeah? Of schools you know, that you we have? work with. Gosh, we work with about four thousand schools across the United States right now. We it's a big question mark of of what expansion looks like during a time of COVID, and you know, right now in America, like there's the conversation is very pointed as to what school looks like for this upcoming semester. Some school districts are not having kids go back to school at all. Some schools are thinking about having kids go back. And so growth isn't necessarily a business objective of Yoga Foster right now. It's just how do we be in relationship with our existing partners and support them through this transition? 
because, you know, like the industry, schools are incredibly disrupted. And I think it can pave the way for a lot more equitable change, but also creates just so much, so much stress already. So we want to be, you know, we want to help our schools where we can certainly not place our expectations of growth <laughs> or or anything on, on this industry at this right. time. Right. But I mean, 4,000 schools is a lot of schools, yeah. <laughs> a lot of schools, but uh, just the, just the thought of this being accessible to, to so many kids, it's so beautiful. And I wish, I wish it was available in more places, you know, and if maybe there is a, a teacher listening who, who feels really inspired by the work you do with Yoga Foster now to create this in their own countries or in their own communities right now, I would love to hear more about, because after the the whole yoga journal thing settled a little bit. It inspired you to to, to create another venture yes. that's really active right now. Could you share a little bit about that? Because I love how that that could have been just a, a harmful thing that happened that you spoke about, you know, on social media, and then and then everybody moved on. But that's yeah, not what happened. I, you know, I was so being an you know a, a you know a black female teacher, and then also being a black female entrepreneur running Yoga Foster. These kinds of conversations have been like sitting with me for a while. And there's so much that we need to do to shift the industry to really center and empower people who are marginalized to hold space. Because I do believe when you have more representation and leadership, you have more brands that represent the practice that we want to see, right? So around the time of Yoga Journal, I was focusing on starting a fund that would invest in other people like me doing things like Yoga Foster, giving people access to the you know financial capital and social capital that you need to build businesses in this industry. And hopefully, you know, knowing that so many of you know marginalized folk are creating things that are in response to their community's needs, we would create an industry that's more inclusive as, as a result. And so I was working on that for a while. And, you know, it was one of those things where I was like, I really want this to happen, but I'm focused on Yoga Foster and I've got a lot of other personal stuff going on. I'll, you know, see how it goes. And then when Yoga Journal happened, I was like, this is the problem. Like this is, I, I don't know what I am hmm. waiting for because there are brands that are just creating such egregious harm. And, you know, so many of us, I mean, all of us, but particularly people that are marginalized, like we have to play this game, right? We have to work in this system to order to see our, our work thrive. You know, for me personally, I, you know, I was very grateful to be on the cover of Yoga Journal, but it wasn't something that I, it was like, it was, it wasn't like a dream of mine in the same, same way that I know so many people have had that. I was really excited about it because of their reach and knowing that we would get more people engaged with Yoga Foster and, and push that work forward, you know? And so it wouldn't be something that I would have said no to because I have a responsibility to my board and my team. I have a responsibility to our schools, right? And not being able to have the choice or the capacity to say no to things in our industry that can be harmful prevents, I think, us from holding this accountable, you know, from holding the space accountable. So all of that is to say that, you know, once Yoga Journal happened, you know, I, I publicly talked about what's called Reclamation Ventures. It's a fund. We invest capital into entrepreneurs, like I said. And I use that to say, hey, like, we need, we need a different model. 
So, you know, if you are really upset about Yoga Journal and you do want to help move this industry forward, donate to this. I put up a GoFundMe, donate to this GoFundMe and um, help me create micro grants, you know, of $5,000 that we can give to good people doing good work. And so that was really inspiring to see how many people came and supported. Did, did Yoga Journal donate? Yeah. So ultimately what happened was I was clearly very upset with Yoga Journal. And once the Instagram post took off, they responded to me, but not before and said, you know, of course we will put you on the cover. And I was like, look, like it's past the point of you putting me on the cover. I was like, the only way I would participate in this is if you give me the, the profits of the magazine, because you don't deserve to financially profit off of putting me on the cover now. Because this is this happens a lot in our industry. Somebody creates makes some brand will create harm, then they will compensate for it, right, by doing what they should have done in the first place. But because of how capitalism works, a lot of people that might have been following that story will support that brand, and then the brand actually right. financially like profits off of the controversy. So terrible. Yes, so true. Because then they gained a lot of attention exactly. and it became Yeah, a- and you know, with all of the people that were, you know, so many people came and supported me on Instagram. So of course they'd want to buy the cover to support me, but the 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 model doesn't work that way. I wouldn't be supported. Yoga Journal would be supported, right? And my magazine would probably sell more than it had if I if they just put me on the cover. So I told them I'm like, look, you the only okay. way I will be on the cover is if you give me all of the profits so I can invest it in the fund. Because that way you are not financially benefiting from this. You are such a badass. <laughs> yeah. This is such a fierce thing to, to, to ask. So amazing. What did they say? It took them almost a year to send me those funds. So let's not like celebrate Yoga Journal for doing the bare minimum. But they did mm-hmm. give me the rest of the funds from the magazine. The magazine was, of course, the best-selling magazine of the year, right? So that's, again, it says like what they could have profited off of and what many brands do profit off of. But we took the money from that magazine and invested it in the fund. We raised money online from the fund. And now we're raising a few million dollars to grow and scale the fund so that we could do larger scale investments. So that's all to say what what came out of that was really just me getting off my butt. And I'm glad that I did because, you know, all of this happened about a year ago. And so for the first few months of 2019, well, the last latter half of 2019, the first few months of the fund, you know, we were just investing in entrepreneurs doing cool work. Then when COVID happened this year, we had the capacity and we had the, we had funds, we had the capacity, we had the staff to be able to say, let's create a relief fund for people impacted by COVID. And so we've raised almost $200,000 since to give to any wellness professional who identifies as being systemically marginalized just to offset some of the revenue that's been lost. So I'm really glad, again, like all of this happened because we were ready to respond to COVID, I think, more quickly than we would have been if I was still sitting on my butt. <laughs> yeah, I mean, what a beautiful set of events that, that yeah. the timing of it is... Uh... Is, is 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 beautiful in a sense. I mean, obviously these these, these things shouldn't right. happen in the first right. place. It shouldn't take 
racism and harm and trauma for 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 brands to do better or for these conversations to be had or for for funds to go to right. the right place right but but it's 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 beautiful to see that that you were able to create something so powerful with that harm done I mean, this, this, of course, you know, uh, then the next question becomes, imagine what can be created without the harm in the first place. You know, how many amazing leaders and teachers that are out there that are, that are sitting with these massive obstacles every single day that, that should be out there creating amazing, fantastic things, but have so many, many hurdles to jump through. And how can we, you know, or any privileged person listening, shift some of this privilege to have these opportunities actually be for, for everyone right. the way it should be, you know, especially in this field with this practice that is about community. I mean, that's, that's the heart of, of all yep. of it, you yep. know? So thank you so much for sharing this, 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 these stories. I mean, it's, it's, it's amazing for anyone listening right now. I mean, I, I like to close the podcast with this, but how can we all be of service mm-hmm. to you Me, right uh, now? Join the work. You know, this work is not something that one person can do alone. You know, it takes it takes all of us to shift a system, the system that we all are part of, right? And we're actively contributing to regardless if we're paying attention, right? Like we're either maintaining the status quo or dismantling it. So my work can't happen if all of y'all don't get involved. <laughs> um, if you're, you know, if you if anti-racism conversations are new to you or they're not and you just want more to do, sign up for the anti-racism daily. It's antiracismdaily.com and the newsletter is free. You're welcome to make a contribution, but read that, follow along, do the work with each person. You can follow Reclamation Ventures and our grants at reclamationventures.co. You can follow Yoga Foster at yogafoster.org. And I am on Instagram <laughs> at Nicole A. Cardoza, and I talk about all of these things. So you can follow me at Nicole A. Cardoza if you want to see it all. Beautiful. Thank you so, so, so much for being here. Thank you for the work you do, for taking the time to talk with me today. I hope you have a, I hope you get a beautiful sunny day in Alaska today. I hope so too. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode and a huge thank you to my guest this week, Nicole Cardosa. If you enjoy the show, be sure to listen and subscribe to other great episodes of the Yoga Girl podcast, Conversations from the Heart. You can find all of them on yogagirl.com, on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you normally get your shows. Don't forget to leave a review while you are there. Thanks to the folks at Cadence 13 for their production work. And of course, thanks to my sponsors. Please support them the way they support this podcast. I'll see you next week.